Hey guys, welcome to another chapter episode of Strange Days Live on this Monday, January 29th of 2024. I am your host, Doc, and uh, bringing you the latest in anything and everything related to our strange days and our strange world. Today's shows will be focused mostly on the fact and on the phenomenon of premonitions. Uh, strange feeling that something is about to happen, uh, especially with negative connotations. Um, people have had premonitions dating back to hundreds of years uh, about events or about occurrences or about personal experiences that are about to happen. Some of the people that chose to listen to these premonitions continue to live. Some of those that fail to understand its meanings met an untimely demise. Hope you guys are doing well. And uh, thank you for being faithful listeners and taking part of this program. Uh, let's see here. We're going to get started. Tend to a couple of things. I hope you guys had a great weekend. Uh, had a great weekend myself. Able to relax and kind of recap and just... Um, you know, tend to other things besides uh, our, our live channel. Uh, hope you guys had some fun. Um, it was a ni- nice weekend here in Southern California. Actually, we came from a week of rain and uh, the weekend was up in the 80s, which is not bad for late uh, January. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's always sunny and um, opportunity to have fun, to go out and explore nature. We also had uh, a lot of sports in regards to the NFL, for those of you that choose to follow uh, sports or represent your city, uh, I was quite happy with the outcome of both teams that are going to be joining uh, the football lore and the football uh, history uh, So they approach the Super Bowl in two weeks. Uh, those two teams are the Kansas City Chiefs who will be facing the San Francisco 49ers. So you guys have kind of two teams there to choose from. I personally probably would like to see the 49ers take it. They haven't won in, in quite a while. Uh, so I think it's 1994, the last time that they uh, they were able to win it all. And uh, they're also a California team. So I'll be able to, to root for them and be able to have a fun time of uh, your snacks and celebrations as we get together for the, you know, for the Super Bowls. Uh, let's see here. So, you know, what is a premonition? Uh, Basically, it's a strong feeling or a sense that something's about to happen, Um, especially something uh, unpleasant or should I say significant without any concrete evidence or logical explanation. It's a sudden onset of a feeling that, you know, you could be in a car, you could be in an airplane. Maybe a loved one is undertaking a, a trip somewhere and you all of a sudden get this unexplained feeling that something's uneasy, something's not quite right. It has been often described as a forewarning or perhaps uh, intuitive perception of future events, sort of like a glimpse into the future, if you will. Uh, many people who experience premonitions may have a sense of uh, anticipation or apprehension about an occurrence. But uh, as with all things that we can't explain, the phenomenon is not grounded in the usual way that we understand or are able to predict events. And the premonitions are often associated with a mysterious or inexplicable intuitive awareness of the future. Sort of if you get a a glimpse of of the after. It's very... um, I've never particularly had a premonition that I can recall. I've heard uh, many stories of people that have premonitions uh, and, um, you know, and I'm sure you guys have kind of heard stories yourself. Maybe you've experienced one. And if you have, uh, you guys can go ahead and comment uh, or call us and let us know how that happened and uh, what was the outcome. We'd love to hear you. As far as reaching out, I'll be putting the direct link into the show below. This is a link that you guys can just uh, sort of click on and it'll bring you into the back area of our show. Or you can always resort to calling us 
And yeah, give us a call and we'll be able to, you know, to speak about premonitions. It'd be interesting to talk to somebody who's had, actually had one. Um, and I should have maybe invited somebody into the show who who has a history of premonitions. I think it would have been interesting to find out uh, how it, it presented to them uh, if they've had if they had more than one or they sort of get them regularly. Or if they just be like a, like a fluke, they just kind of had it. And then, you know, from there on, things just uh, kind of dissipated. So 951-888-0313 is the phone number. 0313. I had it backwards. I haven't given it out in a long time. So here it is. It's uh, 951-888-0313. And I'm placing the phone number as we speak here. So there's two ways that you guys can uh, reach us directly. You can either click on the StreamYard link, and that will take you into the back end of the show. We'll bring you in. The other one is by calling the 951-888-0313. Uh, preferably, the link would help a little bit more because it offers the opportunity to have a better connection with us and a better uh, reception. We are actually in the Inland Empire. Yes. Hi, Chris. How are you? Um, so yeah, we are in Southern California, uh, near the Inland Empire or within the Inland Empire, uh, I, I would say undisclosed location, <laughs> but, uh, yes. Uh, and if you guys want to call for anything else unrelated to the topic of tonight, which is premonitions, you're welcome to do so. This is, uh, you know, an originally intent at, uh, emulating the show that our belt, uh, was able to provide us for over 20 years. And also, it's a way to emulate and kind of create an avenue for those of us who are fans to call and be able to discuss anything related to the paranormal. So yeah, go ahead and give us a call. We'll be uh, taking live calls. And then also we'll be discussing the subject of, of uh, premonition. So going back to the topic at hand, um, Chris, let's see here. I'm Al Bailas here. Yeah, I'm familiar with that area. I'm very familiar with uh with la sierra i um i can be in that area in a couple of minutes actually <laughs> so yeah I'm, a, I'm 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 local uh <clears throat> if you have any stories chris that you want to call us with uh, in regards to the paranormal the, the strange go ahead and give us a call uh, as far as the topic of the show today it's uh it's a premonition it's like i talked earlier today what it what it was it was sort of a, a strong a strong sense or feeling that something's about to happen usually with negative connotations um you know th there's been a lot of cases that have been um that have been documented throughout history and, and these cases they share uh, a couple of things in common you know they, they can present themselves as uh as dreams um warnings of dangers you know some individuals who have actually experienced the phenomenon have dreamt about specific events and dangers because before they occur which promptly uh serves them as a precautionary measure some of these people um have not undertaken trips or have not undertaken uh, uh for example uh, a turn on a certain street or maybe they remain home when they were supposed to go out and so on and so forth. So dreams are a part of this phenomena. And uh, people have also claimed to have visions uh, of, of, of what we call a premonition, sudden visions of a catastrophe or of something happening. Uh, and besides humans, there's also been animals that have been, um, that sort of have this behavior probably more pronounced uh, than, than humans have. And um, this could be related to a multitude of factors, notwithstanding the fact that they have a better hearing and very an improved sense of smell. There's been a lot of reports of animals uh, reacting to earthquakes minutes or sometimes hours before these events take place. 
maybe they can hear something that's unsettling and they're they're reacting to it or maybe there's changes in the atmosphere or you know something like that that will sort of give them a heads up that something's going to come you know something's going on so it's it's very interesting there as far as the documenter documenting cases um that i was able to sort of of um find in regards to to the pre-munitions if you will there's been um a few of them that have that, that caught my attention uh one of them was uh, actually uh abraham lincoln had a dream it was said that he had a dream about his own uh, passing a few days before uh he was um ambushed at uh at ford's theater uh in the dream it says that uh, mr lincoln was able to see a funeral in the white uh in the white house and um you know he was able to retell this dream to his wife and then afterwards it was interpreted as an omen and uh and taken it as, as as a bad sign if you will during uh some of the survivors during the 9/11 attacks also reported having had feelings of uneasy uh, unease and uh and or premonitions on the morning of the attacks uh leading a lot of them to either alter their travel plans their work plans or avoid the area surrounding the World Trade Center altogether in particular flight 93 passengers uh United Airlines flight 93 which uh, was part of the 9/11 attacks um reportedly uh, were making phone calls to their loved ones mentioning awareness of the great situation that they were they were in and also uh speaking to them about the the lack of uh survivability of what was undertaking at the time another case or another story will be the the tsunami of 2004 in Thailand and Indonesia the reports of animals included here as well as indigenous people in the coast and the coastal areas that were uh, behaving very unusual before the uh, tsunami you know some animals have said to move to higher grounds and some tribal communities reportedly evacuated to safer areas right before the earthquake struck in 2004 Uh, going along with the same sort of idea there's been people that have been able to foretell other sort of accidents individual accounts of car accidents or natural disasters in regards to diving a little bit deeper into the Abraham Lincoln's reported premonitions um the story goes that uh, Mr Lincoln had a vivid dream a few days before his uh, demise on April 14th 1965 again mentioning the fact that he had seen a funeral at the White House and according to accounts very close to him Lincoln shared this details of the dream with his wife Mary Todd Lincoln as well as other few closer friends to him uh, in the dream he described walking into the east room of the White House where he found a funeral taking place and when he inquired about the identity of the deceased he was told that it was the president not him but the president Uh, Lincoln's dream left him with a sense of foreboding and he reportedly mentioned it to others expressing a belief that it was a bad omen but despite this he continued with his plans and attended Ford Theater on the fateful night of April 14th where he had a meeting with uh, the assassin John Wilkes Booth um so you know that these are things that are hard to explain you know why are they coincidences the people just merely kind of dream these things and then things tend to take place or do they have some sort of validity some sort of credence you be the judge um it seems to me that there's a little bit more there uh, you know that the meets the eyes if you will which which is quite um quite paranormal and quite unusual Let's see here. Uh hey Spark, how are you buddy? Good to have you on the show, man. Just kind of I'm going to tend tend quickly to our comment section. We have some new listeners and uh one of our good friends on the show Sparks also here, so it's a pleasure to have him. Um going back there's a couple of cases that I was able to read and I was able to um sort of get involved with today. and uh very interesting one of them pertains to uh John F Kennedy's uh assassination 
On the, the morning of uh, November 22nd of 1963, John F. Kennedy awoke at the Hotel Texas to find a crowd had gathered outside to see him. Uh, he greeted them saying, uh, there's no faint hearts in Fort Worth. Back inside the hotel, he remarked to his wife, Jackie, that the previous night it would have been a hell of a night to outdo a president. His, his next words will go down in history as a premonition of what would happen later in the day. He turned both to Jackie and his aide, Ken O'Donnell, and said, anyone perched above the crowd with a rifle could do it. Very scary, huh? Whether JFK truly had a moment of revelation as to what would happen to him or whether it was just a passing thought, we will never know for sure. What we do know is that at 12.30 p.m. that afternoon, a bullet struck the American president in the upper black back close to the neck and his motorcade moved slowly through Dealey Plaza, followed by two more shots, one of which tore through his upper um, right skull. John F. Kennedy, unfortunately, was pronounced dead at Parkland Memorial Hospital at 1 p.m. of the same day. There's uh, another story also that I that I found interesting. This one ha happened in, uh, in uh, 2017, and the people involved were uh, Christine Delcross and her fiancé, Xavier Thomas, who happened to be strolling along uh, the London Bridge on the 3rd of August, on the 3rd of June of 2017 on their way to the Shards as part of Xavier's planned romantic night out. Basically, they were out on a date. He wanted to show his bride-to-be the view of the city from the top of the skyscraper. Christine was very happy and in love, but couldn't shake the nervous feeling that he, that he, had, been, uh, that he had been building inside of her ever since uh, London Bridge came into view. She eventually became so terrified of walking along the, bri the bridge that she implored Xavier that they rather go somewhere else. Xavier did not want to postpone his romantic date idea, but insisted that they carry along the bridge despite Christine's increasing fear of an attack. A few moments later, a white rental van struck the couple from behind. Xavier Thomas was flung over the balustrade of the bridge because of the sheer impact and he landed in the Toms River 30 feet below. Unfortunately, it took rescuers three days to discover his remains in a Shetland basin. Christine survived. Eight people in total passed away in the terrorist attack orchestrated by three men who drove the van afterwards, attacked people with knives. The attackers were all neutralized by police. Um, another story that I would like to share is about uh, an eight-year-old named Kaiko Ogura. Kaiko Ogura was probably happy and excited on the 6th of August of 1945 when her dad said, Kaiko? Today, you shouldn't go to school. He added, something might happen, but it probably didn't register with a young girl who would have been glad to have a day off from her studies. Around 8.15, Kaiko was out on the street near her house when a sudden flash turned the world white. Kaiko fainted, and when she came to, darkness had descended all around her. At first, she thought it was night, and then that she had been unconscious the whole day. Then she realized the sky, the sky was filled with soot and debris. She stumbled to her feet and ran home, only to find that it was burning. Hearing her little brother's cry, she went to look for him, and when she stepped out of the house again, it was raining. Only the raindrops were not your usual watery clear, but were black. The world's first deployed atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima on the 6th of August of 1945 at around 8.15. Keiko Agura's father most likely saved his daughter's life by listening to his gut feeling and keeping her home from school. The explosion was uh, responsible for the passing of 80,000 people on impact and wiped out about 90% of the city. Very uh, interesting things. Huh? How do you explain these things? It's immediately not your time, and then things just kind of sort of orchestrate uh, in, in the universe for, for you maybe to skip a meeting, maybe for you to skip a date, maybe for you to skip uh, school, you know? Hey, Chris, how are you, buddy? Good to have you here. And uh, Spark, always chime in. Awesome. Just kind of reading the comments.
Another case happened on the morning of uh, September 11th of 2000. Monica and Michael Eichen had gotten married during a beautiful outdoor ceremony. As they were about uh, to say their I do's, a jet zipped by overhead so loudly that they had to stop the service briefly. Monica wasn't uh, much perturbed by the incident, but Michael was very unnerved, and he told his new wife, we are jinxed. On the 9th of September of 2001, about a year later from their anniversary, the couple checked into the Boston Airport Hotel. Michael was very jittery and couldn't come down while they were there. He told his wife, Monica, that they needed to get out of the hotel immediately. Monica was at a loss, but two days later she understood. Michael went to work on the 80th floor, 84th floor of the South Tower on 11 September 20, 2001. And unfortunately, he uh, passed away during the terrorist attacks that followed shortly after. Monica later learned that while they were in Boston Hotel, the hijackers of the plane were there too, casing the joint, so to speak. Wow. Never heard that one before. That's pretty, pretty interesting. Another case of premonition happened on uh, the 10th of March of 2019 when Carol Karanja boarded Ethiopian Airline Flight 302 along with her three children and her mom. They were flying from Canada to Kenya to meet with her Kenyan family for the first time. But a week before the flight, Carol sent a WhatsApp message to her younger sister in Kenya telling her she had a bad feeling. The message read, My heart isn't really excited. I feel like there's something bad ahead, but I don't know what. Before boarding the flight, she sent a similar expression of fear to her father. Minutes after takeoff, flight 302 crashed, and all five, uh, all 157 souls aboard the plane, including Carol, her mom, and her children, passed away. In Kenya, Carol's family had to hear the devastating news that three generations had been totally wiped out in mere seconds due to the fatal Boeing 737 crash that occurred a mere five months apart. Let me attend here also to the chat, make sure everybody's doing okay. Wow, wonderful. Seems like everybody's doing okay. Got some great listeners online. Gonna keep on going here. During World War II, evacuations from London to surrounding small towns and villages were at the order of the day. Mona Miller and her young children were no exception as they were evacuated to Bamcom and Devon. While these precautions were necessary, Mona couldn't shake the feeling that she and her children were in the wrong place. Sure enough, while they were happier they, while they were happier outside of London proper, Mo- Mona did not feel any safe at all. For four months, Mona spent each day in Devon with a little voice in the back of her head telling her that they needed to return to London. She resisted, knowing that London was being bombed on a daily basis, but somehow something kept telling her that London was safer at this point in time. Finally, one morning she awoke knowing she could no longer postpone the inevitable. She and her children had to go back to London. So on Saturday late in 1942, a few days after their arrival in London, a letter came from Devon. Mona's friend wrote that the day after they left, three bombs had been dropped on Devon. One, demolishing the house Mona and her kids stayed in, and um, scattering the neighbors' uh, houses on both sides of where they were. Very scary stuff. (laughs) One evening, another story goes, one evening a school teacher called named Krista McAuliffe had a dream. Along with imparting knowledge to her students, she really wanted to travel to space. Her dream was realized when she was selected for more than 11,000 applicants to become the first teacher in space. She was to teach two lessons while on her space mission, as well as conduct several experiments. A few months before her departure, fellow teacher Mark Hampton chatted with Krista in the cafeteria at Concord High School, where they both worked. Hugging her goodbye, Mark felt a chill down his spine, and afterwards he recalled, I just had a premonition that I would never see her again. On the 28th of January of 1986, Krista joined six other crew members inside the Space Shuttle's Challenger. 73 seconds after its launch, the Challenger broke apart in the air. Unfortunately, um, 
killing everybody on board. The, uh, the shuttle had no escape system, and while the impact of the shuttle with the ocean surface after it fell down to Earth was too violent for anyone to have survived, it is thought that the crew would have survived the initial, uh, the, the crew actually survived the initial um, impact of the shuttle in the air. So all these are, you know, stories of premonitions, very, um, very misunderstood. Um, could, it, could this be a survival skill, perhaps, that we all have that we're just not very attentive for? Can it be mere consequence, mere, um, yeah, um, can it be just mere coincidences? How many other cases are there we don't know about because somebody, you know, was unable to sort of follow through uh, in their uh, convictions? Kind of cool stuff. So um, if you guys out there, uh, some of the listeners, uh, if you have any cases that you've experienced in regards to this phenomenon, go ahead and give us uh, either a call or just uh, go online into the show and let us know. I'm going to try to here find out more, a little bit more stories here about people that, uh, that have handed more of these cases. <clears throat> After the major tragedy that struck the RMS Titanic on the 15th of April 1912, many people came forward with claims of having foreseen the disaster. Whether or not they truly had premonition is a different story altogether. True. But the most intriguing story stands out of the novelist Morgan Robertson. He famously wrote a novella, The Wreck of the Titan, describing the events of the drowning of a ship and the casualties caused due to the lack of lifeboats. The events described in the book are very similar to the sinking of the RMS Titanic in 1912. What makes the story stand out, among others, is that the novella was written in 1898, much before the Titanic was even conceptualized. Famous actress Sharon Tate was a Hollywood icon in the 1960s, married to director Roman Polanski, and being involved in the, in the Hollywood young Hollywood crowd, uh, reportedly also had a premonition about her demise months before she and her unborn child will be the victims of the Manson family. Sharon had hallucinations about her passing away. She repeatedly had hallucinations about a uh, corpse in their house with all their uh, wounds uh, very noticeable. And uh, she also kept seeing uh, an owner of the home um, that was affected by an attack. Famous band Leonard Skinner, backing vocalist, reportedly foresaw their plane crash in their dreams. Mr. Jojo Billingsley, who's actually the backing vocalist of the original Leonard Skinner band, reportedly claimed that she had foreseen the unfortunate plane crash in which three members of the band passed away. According to her, she saw a plane crash in her dreams two days before the actual plane crash. She was also the only band member who was not on the plane that day. My goodness. Let's see, I'm still looking here. There was a Dave, okay, let's talk about this. This case is pretty interesting as well. Um, David Booth predicted the crash of American Airlines Flight 191. Flight 191 uh, crash is the deadliest aviation accident in the history of America. It claimed the life of 273 people. Uh, the flight unfortunately crashed soon after taking off from the runway. And what is really chilling about this accident is that the accident was predicted accurately by a man named David Booth. He reportedly had dreams about a flight crash in the exact same way the crash 191 happened. Booth even approached the FAA officials warning them of a possible disaster. I'm going to try to do a little bit more deep dive into this because this is an interesting case that I have not heard of before. Mr. David Booth. Huh. 
Okay, I found a good story. So, same one. Dave Booth had a recurring dream about aircraft crashing into Chicago's O'Hare International Airport. Being quite a rational man, he initially dismissed it. But as they continued, he became very worried, and he started the premonitions of the crash, the shock. Uh, and he started, and he started to have more and more dreams about this particular event that took place in the U.S. in 1975. Um, well, some people obviously are always going to dismiss these things as coincidences or figments of imagination. Others do believe that they're very valid and very powerful. Uh, in May 1979, David Booth was uh, a resident of Ohio, uh, and he started to experience the same recurring dream uh, for 10 consecutive nights. In his dream, he saw a large passenger jet trying to take off, flipping over, and cra crashing into a fireball. Every time he reached that point, he would abruptly wake up drenched in sweat. The dream was so the, the the dream was so vivid and terrifying that Booth became so paranoid and anxious, feeling that it was a warning to him about something that was about to happen. His fears became so intense that he actually called the FAA or the Federal Aviation Administration to report his dreams, but the FAA unfortunately dismissed his concerns, calling them base, baseless and unfounded. But just two months later, his premonitions actually came true. On May 25th, 1975, uh, MC uh, McDonnell Douglas DC-10 crash in uh, Chicago O'Hare's International Airport, killing all 258 passengers and 13 crew members aboard. The left engine separated from the wing, leading to a total loss and collision less than one mile from the end of the runway. And as I mentioned before, it's the deadliest aviation tragedy within the United States. This incident shook Booth to the core and left him with a deep sense of guilt and confusion because he had had the premonition of the disaster, but nobody believed him. Uh, you know, very sad story, huh? And there's actually... Um, I think it was film. There's a there's film of the of the plane crash here. Horrific. I'm looking at images. There's a, somebody was recording the event that took place. So it's very sad, indeed, to be able to um, have such a sense of uh, conviction about something that's going to happen and then nobody believe you. Let's see here. If we have we we'll have a lot more of these. I'm just kind of looking through stuff, see if I can find anything. Um, Riva Stenkamp predicted her, her passing in a painting. On February 14, 2013, uh, model Riva Steenkamp, uh, the passing away of model Riva Steenkamp actually rocked South Africa. It became worldwide news when he was revealed that her boyfriend, Olympic athlete Oscar Pistorius, nicknamed Blade Runner, was accused of her crime. At the trial, it was determined that uh, Mrs. Uh, Steenkamp was locked in the bathroom and Pistorius had fired his gun at the bathroom door. According to his defense attorney, Pistorius thought that Mrs. Steenkamp was in the, in the bedroom and that an intruder had broken in. Pistorius was ultimately found guilty and culpable of homicide, but this, this ruling was later overturned when the athlete was found guilty. His initial six-year sentence caused an outrage for being too lenient, and eventually it was increased to over 13 years. A few months, uh, a few months after the death uh, of their daughter, uh, Stenkamp's parents appeared in a documentary and showed a drawing that uh, Riva had completed when she was just 14 years old. It was an extremely disturbing picture that showed an angel, a gunman, and a stairway to heaven. In the image, the man is standing next to a tree in the field and is holding a gun. On the other side, uh, there's a two-part drawing that joined together. There's a young girl wearing angel wings and a ladder going up to heaven. The girl is clearly terrified as her hands are covering her mouth, and there's a look of horror in her face. 
During the interview, Reba's mom discussed their grief and also admitted feelings of guilt that she and her husband weren't able to protect their daughter, Mrs. Steenkamp. Cannot understand why Pistorius kept firing his gun. Reba had already been hit at least once and yet continued to shoot at the bathroom door. Very few people now believe that Pistorius story that he actually mistook, mistook Reva for an intruder. When Reva's body was discovered, the grim scene horrified investigators as there was blood uh, apparently everywhere. Uh, and afterwards, people were able sort of to make sense of what she had drawn as a little girl in her accident. Very sad story. And I think actually that uh, Pistorius now, it's been, he's free actually, he's out of jail. Let me go ahead and tend to the. Hey, Daniel, thank you. Good to see you back, Doc. Thank you so much. Hey, JD, how are you, buddy? Good to see. Good to have uh, the some of the original gang members here, <laughs> if you will, the uh, Strange Days gang members. Now, if you guys have any questions or if you guys want to get on uh, on the line, go ahead and, and do so by either calling uh, our 951-888-0313, 951-888-0313, or just joining the link that I shared earlier in the live chat to come in as a guest and be able to discuss anything related to the paranormal. Or if you ever had a premonition, it would be nice uh to to bring you on and discuss this with somebody who's actually uh, is lifted you know if you will uh firsthand we'll get back into some of the cases here uh there's an interesting one about princess diana uh, princess of Wales. did she actually predict her passing in a car accident even uk residents who didn't care a great deal about the royal family were shocked by the passing of Princess Diana, Princess of Wales, on August 31st, 1997. She was in a car that crashed along uh, Paris's Point d'Alma road tunnel and was able to, well, and passed away from her injuries a short time later. Her lover, Dodi Al-Fayed, and the driver, Henry Paul, were also uh, slain, uh, while one of the bodyguards, Trevor Reese Jones, uh, was the only survivor of the four-passenger um, accident at the time the british media actually blamed the paparazzi who pestered diana but later it was revealed that henry paul the driver was under the effects of both uh prescription drugs and i think alcohol and lost control of the car prescription drugs for sure alcohol uh does not mention all this article <clears throat> an estimated 2.5 billion people around the world watch her funeral. That's almost one-third of the world's population. And predictably, uh, conspiracy theories came out of the woodwork claiming that it was a hit on the unfortunate princess. But one of the most uh, intriguing pieces of evidence is a letter that Diana supposedly wrote to Paul Burrell, her butler. She, uh, in the letter, allegedly wrote uh, several months before the crash and told Burrell, quote, this particular phase in my life is the most dangerous. My husband is planning, quote unquote, an accident in my car, brake failure, and a serious head injury to make a path clear for him to marry Camilla, unquote. Prince Charles had been having an affair with Camilla Parker Bowles for years, and uh, Diana had an affair of her own, which Dodi Al-Fayyad, the son of Herod's owner, Mohammed Al-Fayyad, Diana indeed had divorced Charles the year before the crash, and while the scandal rocked the royal family, it was hardly a reason for her to be uh, murdered. But nonetheless, Mohammed believes the British military was responsible for her demise um, because they wanted to make sure that the couple never got married. Burrell kept the note secret until the year 2003 until he published it in a book called A Royal Duty. According to Burrell, Diana wrote it as an insurance policy just in case, as it was written just two months after her divorce from Charles was finalized. However, uh, Burrell also said that it was impossible for Charles to have killed the mother of his children. So the owner of the note or the, the person that got the note did not really believe uh, to for the note to have any validity. Um, and speaking at an inquest in 2007, Burrell said that he didn't believe it was murder. On April 7, 2008, the jury concluded that the princess and Al-Fayed were unlawfully killed by gross negligence of the driver.
which I tend to agree with that. It was just a miscalculation by somebody who's under the influence, along with, uh, you know, adhering over the speed limit and an unfortunate uh, hitting of, uh, of the car uh, against uh, one of the pylons in the underground parking. So, Mr. Edgar Allan Poe, did he predict a gruesome murder 40 years in advance, 45 years in advance? Poe is one of the greatest creator of unusual and macabre tales in the America, American literature history. But even he would have been shocked by his apparent fortune-telling skills. In 1938, his only finished novel, The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, was published. In the book, the foreman crew of the ship Grampus found themselves shipwrecked with no food and no water. While they found a tortoise to eat, it didn't provide enough sustenance. Eventually, the crew decided to draw straws to determine which crew member is to be eaten by others. Richard Parker, a former mountaineer, draws the short straw and is brutally uh, murdered. His feet, hands, and head are tossed into the sea. Two of the remaining members of the crew managed to survive after their act of cannibalism and are eventually rescued. Poe referred to the story as very silly, but it did serve as a source of inspiration for Jules Verne when he wrote 2,000 Leagues Under the Sea and also for Herman Melville when he wrote Moby Dick. However, the real magic of the story took place some 45 years after it was written. In 1884, a yacht called the, 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 the Mignonette sailed out of England destined for Sydney, Australia. In hindsight, it was a foolish endeavor for four crew members because their vessel simply wasn't suitable for such a lengthy journey. It sank en route, and the foreman had to escape via a lifeboat. It soon became clear that they lacked the provisions for survival and things were getting very desperate. They found a tortoise and ate it, but the paltry serving each man received wasn't enough. One of the crew members fell overboard and tried to drink the seawater in order to satiate its thirst. This is where the tale gets downright spooky. The man's name was Richard Parker, and the seawater mistake led him to his demise. The crew had considered drawing straws, but decided that the weakening Parker was the best choice. Had they waited for him to die from his illness, there was a chance that his blood could become contaminated. So they decided to take care of him. At a, at, with a, with a <laughs> decided to take care of him in an earlier or a more prompt manner, if you will. They uh, feasted upon his carcass and sustained him for long enough to be rescued. And just like in Poe's book. The relief didn't last long as they were sentenced to death, actually, for their crime. Their sentence was just six months in prison. Let's see here. I'm going to attend to the... Again, thank you guys for being faithful listeners to the show. This makes uh, everything worthwhile. Um... We're going to see if I can get some more. I, I really in, uh, enjoy uh, mostly the interviewing portion of the show. Uh, as opposed to just kind of reading strange cases. But, you know, um, I can't get an interview every single day. But the cases also bring a little bit of uh, magic, if you will, into in, into this channel. Uh, they're very... Um, I try to find things that are interested and things sometimes that are not very spoken about. So I hope you guys are having fun and listening to, to these tales of premonition. Um... Our hours, as you know, have changed. The show has become a Monday through Friday show, leaving me with the weekends free. And also the hours of the show have changed a little bit. I'm kind of sticking to the to the one one hour to one and a half hour um, format, as opposed to the, the format we had in the past, which was just, just a little bit too much for me to, to commit to. And um, yeah, so <clears throat> there was a, a show that I produced uh couple of nights ago that kind of takes a little bit more into account about what happened with the as far as what happened with the with with the host that we were having for for a few weeks few months uh, if you want to go ahead and, and read that out or listen to that show I'll give you it'll give you some perspective into our previous host and, and some of the things that were happening behind the scenes and sort of uh, my decision to revert the show to its original uh, intent 
which uh, it still hasn't been met yet in regards to being a, a call-in show. But I know we're young. We have just, I believe, yeah, today actually marks our th- third month anniversary as being a show. So forgot about that. Uh, we've produced over uh, 60 shows. Probably we have a lot. We've amassed a, a, a lot of work. But there's still work to be done uh, in order for us to get more fans, uh, more listeners, and uh, to start making this into what I envision it to be, which is uh, mainly a call-in show and an interview show to have you with uh, enough entertainment. So um, next phase of the show would be to to get interviews on um, maybe three times a week, and then two times a week we'll kind of follow the path that we're following today, which is to kind of predict a topic, predict, the, uh, pick a topic, uh, you know, be able to open it, to analyze it, and hopefully get some calls about it. Uh, and then to hopefully start getting some of the calls out here so we can start having uh, fun and doing an emulation of, uh, of our belt show that we all, uh, we all miss and we all love. Our next story uh, is about a young writer uh, who's actually a psychiatrist and a psychoanalyst. His name is Carl Jung, uh, who actually said that he predicted World War II, excuse me, World War I. Carl Gustav Jung is one of the most famous psychoanalysts and psychiatrists of all time, and was also uh, an expert in what we call dream analysis. However, he was unprepared for the dreams he began to have in 1913, which suggested that something apocalyptic was about to happen in the world. It was a special traumatic time for Jung because he had recently broken away from his mentor, Sigmund Freud. Soon after disconnecting himself from Freud's work, Jung began to have extraordinary visions In October 1913, he dreamt about a monstrous flood covering all the northern and low-lying lands between the North Sea and the Alps. Quote, I realized that a frightful catastrophe was in progress. I saw mighty yellow waves, the floating rubble of civilization, and the drowned bodies of unaccounted thousands. And then the whole sea turned turned to blood, unquote. If this was frightening enough in isolation, Jung had the same vision two weeks later. And this time it was even more vivid and featured a greater emphasis on bloodshed. At the time, Jung was concerned that these visions were the beginning of psychosis. During 1914, he began to dream of a barren wasteland that surrounded him. In his vision, an arctic cold froze the land to ice in the middle of the summer. Young saw the entire Lorraine region as frozen and deserted. Every living thing died because of frost, and the dream occurred just a few months before the outbreak of World War I. Young said that his last dream of this nature occurred in June 1914, and war broke out on 28th of July of the same year. Although it is tempting to believe that Young on reflection that he believed he was dreaming about World War II, uh, it is important to remember that he was in the middle of the most turbulent time of his life, and it's possible that the flood actually represented other things about Young's creative life, but however, it's not easy to dismiss um, these sort of dreams with the catalyst or the horrible actions that World War I brought forth, right? Very interesting there. So if there are any new listeners now, um, I would like to ask you if you guys would like to call and maybe share to see if you guys have ever had a premonition. The only thing that came close for me uh, as a premonition, um, and I wouldn't really quote it as a premonition, but for me when I was was little, uh, I had a cousin of mine that, kind of wanted me to uh, go and uh, my, my cousin was from out of town I remember he was visiting me and um, he wanted me to join him uh, at a sea um, at a beach house to visit his, his grandma which 
you know, I came very close to uh, undertaking that trip. Uh, he wanted me to go with him. It was going to be just for a few days so we can, you know, play. And this is when we were in, in our early, you know, 10, 10 years old, seven, eight, around that area. So, you know, he had a, he had this beautiful kite, I remember, a uh, beautiful white kite. And he said, yeah, if you go, I'll give you the kite. It can be all yours. You know, for a seven-year-old, it's kind of hard. Uh, <laughs> when you have something that you kind of desire, such as a toy like that, it's hard for you to, uh, to say no. But uh, I kind of stuck to my guns. And uh, I told him that I didn't, uh, I didn't really want to go, and I'd rather just stay home. I, I'm not, you know, there's the could, could have been a, a myriad of reasons, and uh, it wasn't um, very foretelling. I mean, I, I didn't think anything uh, was going to happen to me. It felt safe, but uh, lo and behold, uh, on the car that I was uh, supposed to be back from the trip in, um, they were in a car accident, and everybody in the car passed away. And that would have been the car that I would have been in had I undergone in the trip. So premonition or just uh, a little boy's fear from being out of the house at age seven. Take take that uh, with a grain of salt. But it's it's one of those stories that sort of um, happens to, to you that sort of sticks around, you know? Very strange. So I, I'm not going to call it a premonition, but uh, I'll call it something odd for sure. But uh, yeah, if you do, um, you know, if you do a lot of search on premonitions, it's it's amazing how many cases have a lot of validity and hold a lot of water, if you will, um, in regards to people, you know, deviating their their plans uh, due to a feeling of uneasiness or perhaps a feeling of foreboding. It is very, um, it's a strange phenomenon, nonetheless. Let's see here. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to look for more stuff online because I've read a whole bunch. I, I was, I thought I, I could, uh, I, I was only going to stick to about two or three, but they go pretty fast and there's not a lot, a lot to, um, there's not a lot to these stories. They're just that, you know, you can't really do a lot of uh, investigation, if you will. They're just, you got to take them at face value. But then again, I don't know why would somebody make up a story uh, um, about um, about something like this. I mean, there's really nothing to gain from it. Let's see. There's even been stories about people uh, you know, uh, predicting, if you will, or having a premonition about the pandemic that we just kind of suffer in 2020. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm just trying to see which would, uh, This is kind of odd. Uh, let's see. Title of the story says, I heard Pink Floyd's song before it came out. Many years ago, I booked tickets to a Pink Floyd concert at Crystal Palace. Beforehand, I dreamed about the event with a disturbing accuracy, although I had no previous knowledge of the venue. In my dream, the stage was fronted by a river with swirling mist. Pink Floyd were playing a song unfamiliar to me, but upon waking, the tune stayed in my head. Imagine to my surprise when I reached the venue. There was no river, but there was a sizable lake by the stage. Dry ice blocks were thrown in, creating an unusual and surreal mist. When Pink Floyd struck up a new song, it was instantly recognizable to me from my dream. It was only much later on that I learned that it was called Embryo, it was not released in a studio album until 1983, and the concert was in 1971. Over the years, I've also dreamed correctly about crashing my motorcycle, a remote uncle turning up locally for a job interview, and a sudden snowfall on a hot day in October. The dreams were extremely vivid and so different from the usual muscle stuff that we consider dreams that I am convinced something we don't fully understand really exists. 
Well, I am 67 now, and it's something I had to cast aside until this. I read your recent article, and I realized that I was not alone. A very cool story there. I like that. Bigfoot happens to be one of my personal favorite bands. And when I listen to Embryos now, it will be from a totally different perspective. Another story here by uh, Tony Sharman from Cambridge. Uh, Dread overtook me at a future site of bombing. That's the title of the story. Many years ago, on a visit to London, I walked past a large department store opposite a pub that I was, that was playing loud Irish music. Suddenly, I heard that I felt an overwhelming irrational fear, and I was immediately drenched in sweat with my heart beating fast. I knew I had to get away fast. When I turned the corner, my condition returned to normal. A week later, the IRA terrorist group exploded a bomb at Harrods, the store that I had rushed past. My experience was a one-off, thankfully, as it was very, very frightening. Mr. Tony Sharman. Wow. I see this one. Yeah, these are some cool stories, man. Cool. Might see if I probably look at a few more and then we'll call it a day. Let me hear it. Go back to the lines. Well, I appreciate all you guys listening to the show, faithful listeners, as always. If you've encountered any kind of uh, thing that fairly, you know, remotely uh, feels as a premonition, why don't you uh, click on the link and come on live? We'll have you on and... Uh, you don't have to show your face, just your voice, and we'll, I'll ask you a few questions in regards to if you had a strange dream or if you had any kind of strange uh, feelings of, uh, of predictions that we often, uh, you know, can call premonitions as well, sort of uh, helping you stay away from danger or keeping you safe. Otherwise, there's also another way to reach us, and that's at calling area code 951 951-888-0313. And uh, yeah, give us a call. See if we can discuss anything that's remotely familiar. Let's see here. Hope you guys had a good day today. This month are going back pretty fast. I mean, we're, all, we're almost at the tail end of uh, tail end of January, going into February. I'm sure you guys can um, can see that as you walk around, all of a sudden the Christmas red becomes uh, February red, right? As we celebrate Valentine's Day. And then uh, next thing we know, we're celebrating um, bunnies and eggs. Seems like there's no stopping from, <laughs> from uh, commercialization, if you will, um, of, uh, of our calendar. I think, let's see. Okay, I found something pretty much. Let me see if this this could pop. Let me see how good of an article this is. Um, see if I can find another cool stories. No, these are not very interesting. I think we're going to call it a show, guys. Um, thank you so much again for listening to strange days lives this is sort of a new format um as we were kind of crossing over as i explained later into a different uh into the, the original format that i envisioned for this show which would be a call-in show and uh we'll be able to provide you with more hours of listening fun and um kind of focusing also more on the aspect of interviewing that i i happen to enjoy so um we're turning here on the close to eight o'clock uh, Pacific Standard Time. We're going to, yeah, I'm gonna end the show. We'll be back tomorrow at uh, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We'll see what the topic entails. I'm gonna try to get an interview because I really enjoy doing interviews. I hope you guys listening to uh, listen to the um, to the last interview that I did last week. It was phenomenal. I really enjoyed having Al on the show live. And I think uh, I might call him back for, for another, uh, another time to pick his brain and to be able to, um, 
to discuss things of the paranormal nature. So guys, uh, God bless you guys. Have a good night. Uh, enjoy your loved ones. Enjoy um, time and enjoy the strange. Uh, this is Doc signing out from Strange Days Live. Take care.